What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. I'm John Kenzano. Welcome to the Kenzano and Wilner podcast, or Kenzano and Wilner, the podcast. Uh, you can find me at johnkenzano.com. Wilner, where do they find your work? Bay Area News Group superstar John Wilner with me. Pac-12 Hotline is uh, under the guidance of the mothership, Bay Area News Group. Also available media outlets across the Pac-12. And we got a lot of talk, a lot to talk about today, don't we? Yep. For, a, for a, a Wednesday in late May, we got a lot to talk about. Let me ask you this before we start. You know, I, I felt a little bad on our last episode because we hit episode number 50. I didn't get you a gift. We didn't celebrate. That was 50? Yeah, we, we didn't celebrate. We didn't do it. This is episode 51. And I feel like, you know... Should I have gotten you like a, you know, a a, a, a flask or something, gold-plated flask, a, you know, a diamond necklace? I don't know, Wilner. Like, uh, I just want to celebrate and I want to thank our listeners. How about that? How about we just say, hey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, would not, we would not have gotten past number one without the listeners. I didn't even realize it was 50. Wow. Time flies when you're just buried. Well, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I know. And I feel uh, I feel grateful to, uh, to do this podcast. I know years ago we worked together. Uh, when I was at the San Jose Mercury News, and uh, it's fun to sort of uh, be able to touch base with you on a regular basis and and kick around ideas. And we've got a lot to kick around on uh, on today's episode. Uh, we got to start though with uh, with Champagne Larry. I got to start with Larry Scott, the former Pac-12 <laughs> commissioner, has been in the news, and and I and and look, there's some piling on going on because you know he I think he becomes low hanging fruit, an easy target, but. I also think he deserves the piling on. And, you know, you saw you've been pouring over the financial documents. I wrote a column, uh, you know, about sort of the hangover of Larry Scott, um, you know, the Pac-12 leaving the downtown San Francisco offices uh, and getting surprised by a $10 million fee that they had to pay to sort of restore it to its uh, to its old form back into a regular office. Uh, that was that was a big surprise. Had one athletic director tell me that it's like you know they're turning over rocks and finding uh, finding all these disastrous things that were left behind. The Comcast fiasco uh, in the news again. Uh, it I guess the bottom line we're finding out is that every Pac-12 school, including UCLA and USC, is going to owe about five point seven million dollars, or, or really uh, it's ten years of fifty million dollars plus. But those projections, Wilner. Uh, lead me to believe that that fifty million dollar figure was way conservative. That it's it's in the sixty to seventy million dollar range. Well, certainly when you include the the two years, these last two years of the twelve year deal, it is absolutely. And it, yeah, I get the the low hanging fruit. Sure, that's true. But the bottom line is, it's real money that his management is costing the schools right now. Fiscal twenty three, fiscal twenty four. So uh, it's a real thing, right? At $5.7 million, that is, you, you know, that's a coaching staff. That's a football coaching staff. That's your head coach, right? That's, that's Chip Kelly or, you know, Dan Lanning. That's what the, they're paying these guys. That's, that's a lot of money for these schools. And then when you add in how much Larry took home over the course of time. I went back and added up all the tax, all, all his compensation over the years from the tax 
forms, he's taken home going to end up taking home more than fifty million when you include his severance package in there. And you know how much did he cost the conference with his strategic mistakes? I mean, way more than that. Way, way more than that. Not to mention the one point eight million dollar loan that he took that still has not been repaid. That's coming due. He used that to buy his home, uh, which, by the way, has uh, almost doubled in value. And so he, uh, you know, he basically got an interest-free loan, but used it to buy a house, and uh, you know, still hasn't paid it back. Like the guy, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And and you know, as much as I'm frustrated with him, I can I can remember this, Wilner. One of my last interactions with Larry Scott, Oregon was playing in the NCAA tournament, and I believe they were in Louisville. And I remember walking through the tunnel. And here's Larry Scott standing and watching. And, you know, I had written all this stuff about how he needs to go and the $7,500 a night uh, hotel room in Vegas and uh, all the all the uh, first cabin expenses that he had rung up, champagne, Larry, marble soaking tub, all that stuff. And, you know, he's he, we have this conversation there where he's so aloof and he's out of touch and he doesn't really like he doesn't really understand that, like, I don't really know Larry Scott. Like, I don't, I don't have any knowledge of him, but I know how he operates. And I think he was really irresponsible and acted like he was running a public company that, you know, that publicly traded company that he could just go off like every other Fortune 500 CEO and, and spend and travel, uh, you know, be a charter and do all this stuff. That's, where, that's what all his friends were doing. And, you know, he said to me that he says, your reporting feels personal to me. And I said, it's not personal. I said, give me a break. I don't even know you. Like, it's, how could that be personal? And he says, well, it sure feels personal. But I'm thinking now all the Pac-12 fans that are watching their universities have to navigate, even after he's gone, making up $5.7 million each in the next two years in their budgets. They're having to turn, as Washington State is this week, and say, hey, we're, our budget's not going gonna to be in the red. We've got a problem here. And I think it's, you know, it feels very personal, I think, to the Pac-12 fans as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, all, all these mistakes at the conference office that were made get the the schools, the athletic departments feel the burden. Right. And to me, it, it's bigger. You know, he's not the root of the problem. The root of the problem is the mismanagement by the presidents over the course of 12 years. And you could argue right down to the bitter end when they gave him a you know three million dollar severance or whatever it's going to work out to be. The presidents, he reported to the presidents. They hired him. They let him run, create the Pac-12 networks, install himself as a chief executive of a media company. They let him spend the way he spent. They signed him into those extensions. They wrote the bonus clauses into his contract. They they let him do what he wanted. They're responsible. They are responsible for costing their own athletic departments, their teams, their coaches, and most of all, their student-athletes all of the repercussions that are coming down because of mismanagement in San Francisco. It's on them. And that's why I would make the case that that 5.7 million, uh, the the presidents ought to write a check to their athletic departments to cover that money because that is entirely on them and not on the athletic directors or you know the folks the folks working in uh, the sports. It's entirely on the presidents and their mismanagement. They're the board of directors, right? It, the, 
they they have the responsibility. That's so that to me is also why it's important still. It's not just that the decisions Scott made are costing real money right now. It's also that a lot of the same folks that have get, gave him those extensions and all that and enabled him for all those years are still running the conference. Yeah, and and you know, I think it's it's worth pointing out too. Like I agree with you. There's a lot of enabling going on and you also have presidents and chancellors to be fair who are academics. These are not people who have great business background in most cases. Some of them do have a background in business. It surprises me that they're not more with it. Question for you. What do you make of the presidents that are holdovers versus the ones that inherited the Larry Scott hangover, so to speak? But a lot of them are still around, right? And if you trace the arc of this, of the of Pac-12, right, there you can easily see where things started to deteriorate. 2017, 2018, football product starts to go down, basketball product, Pac-12 Network's really struggling, chaos at the conference office, all the officiating scandal, all that kind of stuff, right? A lot of the current presidents were around when they gave him that contract extension. His contract ran through 2018. A year early, they gave him a big five-year extension. They didn't have to do that if they hadn't done it then he still would have been working on that that contract when that officiating scandal broke and there's no way that they would have brought him back i don't think but they redid his deal early and so he had four years left after that officiating scandal i think there's a lot of presidents i could go down through the list a lot of them are who are in place now were in place then and they had a chance to change things they could have gotten rid of him before covid think about how things might have been different these last two years three years if they had made the change before covid they didn't they dawdled around and now again the schools and the athletes are the ones paying the price and i think they didn't listen to their ad's either because i think if you trace it no. back it goes back to even further when you know i had written about that meeting that they had in vegas where you know, Chris Hill, the athletic director at the time, started questioning Larry Scott, and he basically said, you know, sit down, shut up, be happy with what you get, uh, more or less not wanting to show uh, the various athletic directors how they arrived at the distributions. And, and those ADs were squawking to their presidents and chancellors who did not listen. Um, you you reviewed the 990 form by the Pac-12. What jumped out at you when you looked at the 990? Well, a couple of things. One was, you know, that was like a 60% increase in revenue from the NCAA and from conference events. And that's two things. One is, uh, you know, moving the ch football championship game to Vegas, I think, was a big boost in revenue because that first year, the Oregon-Utah game was like a sellout, and that helped. But also, and this gets back to something we've talked about, uh, the for the first time, it, so – the 20, the success the conference had in the 2021 NCAA tournament when there were four teams in the Sweet 16 and what, three in the Elite Eight, you know, UCLA made the Final Four. So the NCAA pays its money, pays out the money a, a year later. So all the units that the conference earned in 20, in the spring of 21 show up as revenue in the fiscal year 22 tax forms. And that was a big part of that huge jump in the NCAA revenue. And that tells you successful basketball in the NCAAs, you rack up those units, that is going to be hard dollars for your schools. And it's a great example of something I know you've hit on a lot, which is invest in men's basketball because there is definitely a payout when it comes to those conference distributions. Yeah, I think 
men's basketball is where the bigger opportunity is because everybody knows that you're sort of capped in what you can do in getting to the playoff or not getting to the playoff and there's opportunities in in men's basketball. I also noted that you know you're starting to see some cost cutting by the Pac-12 on the form. You're not fully seeing it. I think it'll take another fiscal year before they really see the cost cutting, but the expense of that downtown San Francisco office, $92 million in rent over over uh, you know an 11-year period. They could have bought the damn building, Wilner. They could have rented it, the rest of it out. They were only using two floors. They could have been a landlord. They could have made money on this deal. Yeah, a huge expense. And they're going to save a bunch. Uh, you're right. I mean, moving to San Ramon for that production studio is going to save them 5 or $6 million a year, I think, which should help offset you know, some of the hit they're going to take from Comcast. One thing I noticed was the the net assets at the end of 2022, they, they're sitting on, at that time, $43 million basically in net assets, and the emergency reserve fund is within that number. Now, I don't know what that is now, if it's still at 43 or not, but there's certainly some reserves that they, if they wanted to, they could turn to to help uh you know, pay for, uh, help offset the Comcast situation to help uh, offset the extra relocation costs from what do they have to do? They had to kind of rebuild this, yeah. rebuild the two floors that they had rented out. So they do. It seems like they've got money in there and the president, that's at the president's discretion. But if it's even half the 43 millions available, they ought to tap into that. Yeah. The, the cost of returning that building to its present form, I'm told, is $10 million. And and again, it, it, you know, they had put in TV studios. They had put in etched glass on Larry's office and uh, on the Instant Replay Command Center. And so they had to undo everything that they had already done. So think about the expense of putting all that stuff in. And then here you are, you know, 11, 12 years later, you're paying to have it pulled back mm-hmm. out and return it to its present form. Um, I am being told that the members will not be called upon to make up that $10 million. That's coming from the conference. And Part of it is uh, mitigated by cost cutting, but I think you you might be onto something there with the reserve fund picking up part of that ten million dollars. So uh, that's not going to fall in the athletic departments, but they're all on the hook for five point seven million dollars that you know is part of that Comcast fiasco. Yeah, and we saw already have seen the results of that, right? That news out of Washington State that they're putting on a, a hiring freeze because of budget problems. Yeah, hiring freeze. And, you know, and again, Washington and Washington State are interesting because state law in Washington requires them to make their budget public. So I think Kirk Schultz, the president of Washington State, is doing something here. He's he's basically going he's doing what Larry Scott didn't do. He's being very open about it and transparent about it and going, look, we've got a problem. We're going to come in in the red this year. We're going to come in at a deficit. And here's why. And, you know, it's caused them to look deeper into their own accounting and they're finding other problems there. But, you know, he's basically going, uh, you know, hey, to the academics who always squawk about athletics, you know, carrying their own weight, uh, you know, hey, we're not going to carry our own weight this year. And here's why. But I think, um, you know, that's I think that's decent leadership when you've got a problem to be like, hey, here's the problem. Everybody can see it. It's going to come out anyway. But uh, really going to be interesting to see what Washington State does and then others. There are going to be others that have to account for that $5.7 million. And it'll be interesting to see, like, will Oregon just turn to Phil Knight? Will they get a check? Will um, USC and UCLA go, hey, it's good, we got money coming, uh, and they're okay? But, you know, Oregon State, that's a lot of money for Oregon State and a whole bunch of others. 
Oh, it is. Anybody who is on the brink of, you know, potentially being profitable in FY23 uh, and the books haven't closed, so it's hard to know. Uh, anybody on the brink, right, is probably going to end up moving into the into the red because of that money, right? And and the thing is, it, it has an impact all throughout, right? I mean, I don't know what exactly what Washington's reasoning is for bringing back Mike Hopkins, but you know, if you're in, in a, pre, a university president or athletic director, you've got to take everything into account. So, do you want to pay a, a, a basketball coach's buyout? Or are you going to use money to pay for to keep your offensive coordinator that Alabama is trying to hire? Uh, the Comcast money, how are you going to distribute that? It's it's a big puzzle, and it can have an impact on you know things that that a lot of fans don't necessarily realize because of because of all the moving parts. So uh, I would be very curious to see what other decisions are made in the next twelve months by some of the athletic directors. That they wouldn't make otherwise, but for that five point seven million or what you know, whatever it's going to be from from Comcast, it'll be very curious to see if if there's other decisions that that are basically rooted in that uh, that hole in their budgets. I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. Uh, I always say, get a free subscription, get a paid subscription, whatever works for you works for me. I'm here with John Wilner. Uh, Pac12Hotline.com if you want to see his work uh, with the Bay Area News Group. Uh, I want to ask you this. Um, Pac12 comes out, says, hey, they're going to be doing some new in-game features for their TV broadcasts. Seems to be that's where this is going. You know, bring the viewer behind the curtain. Let them see, you know, talk to the coach during a, a timeout. Mic up a player during warm-ups. All of this stuff. What do you make of it? I mean, I think college football in general has been way behind, right? Don't most of the pro, I mean, I don't think the NFL does, but right, NBA and MLB, they're doing in-game interviews. I, it's good to see the Pac-12 doing it, and I'm going to get the Big Big 12, I think, is planning on something like that. I would imagine we're going to, it's going to be, uh, you know, all across the Power Five here in a year or two. I, it's long overdue, don't you think? It makes me miss Mike Leach even more, you know, like, uh, <laughs> can you imagine uh, the pirate on the sideline during a game, you know, he's... That that's I think we're going to find out, too, with some, some of the coaches. Look, I interview all the coaches as part of the radio show I host, and some of them are better interviews than others. But we all know those in-game interviews, they can be a little bit, uh, you know, boilerplate. And so it'll be interesting to see which coaches kind of set themselves apart and show a little personality and use it as an opportunity to recruit people to, you know, their, their NIL collective or, yep. rec you know, just recruiting in general. Oh, for sure. I think the younger guys, you know, Lanning, Dillingham, certainly Dion, right? I mean, obviously it's made for him. On the other end of the spectrum, right, I am guessing that uh, that old Chip is not going to be Mr. Personality in those things. What about you? Yeah, no, he hasn't been, except if fans are yelling or, you know, there's an opportunistic moment. But I think you're right with the younger coaches. I think Dan Lanning at Oregon will be very good. I'm interested to see you know, Lincoln Riley at USC. Uh, I, I think Jed Fish at Arizona has a chance to uh, yep. show a little personality. Um, you know, how about Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State? I think, you know, yep. he, he'd be fun to, I think, ha have, you know, get to talk with him. And, and I think, too, you know, the, having the players mic'd up in warm-ups is interesting because, you know, we get to see the players play, but I think it'll be interesting just to kind of get a glimpse behind the scenes. And this is a whole movement. You're right, in broadcasting – you know, I'm watching on Mother's Day, and you know the the first baseman in the Red Sox game is 
is being interviewed during the game, like between pitches. And, and it's ridiculous. That, But it's all about bringing fans closer to the experience, bringing them behind the scenes, and oh, guess what? Ringing the TV uh, deals for more and more money. They're mining for yes, money there. No question. And also, it makes you wonder because, you know, when the Pac-12 announced it, they said they're working with the NCAA uh, on some other stuff, right? And it makes you wonder because the NCAA certainly governs some of what you can do with your football program. And it, it makes you wonder what else the conference is is thinking about and is trying to kind of get ran through uh, in uh, Indianapolis to, in terms of creative ways to produce broadcast games. I'm, I'm very, very interested to see if anything comes of, of the continued push to change some of the NCAA rules. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, you could potentially see if rules get changed, you could potentially see NIL deals manifest themselves in the form of a player in the pregame being mic'd up, you know, endorsing a product. I don't know. I don't I don't know how uh, endless those possibilities become. Um, you know, as we sort of pivot a little bit here, uh, a little bit of news out of the ESPN world. There's reports out there, and I think ESPN is very open talking about this, Wilner, but it kind of dovetails with the broadcast conversation. ESPN talking about becoming a streaming-only network in the next two to three years. Um, you know, it was just like three months ago, everybody was going, no, you can't go to streaming. You have to have linear TV. Now ESPN's doing it. Does it change the conversation now? I mean, I think it does. I've always thought the conversation was skewed that, you know, the argument that the Pac-12, if they have any games on streaming, they're doomed. I I never bought that for a second. Uh, Just look at the look at the bigger landscape and and how everything is is moving towards streaming. Right. And Pac-12's media deal, they sign, you know, six, seven years by the middle part of this this next uh, contract cycle. Streaming is going to be that much more accepted. And it certainly seems, based on some of the reporting that's out there, uh, New York Post included and Wall Street Journal have been the two big ones, right? Two to three years is the is the time frame for ESPN to move to streaming. They've got a, even an internal name for it. Flagship is, is the name. A lot of the details have to be worked out. You know, what are they going to charge? How are the the uh, pay TV pay TV distributors going to respond if if ESPN is part of the pay bundle, but they've also got a streaming platform. So there's a lot of details to be worked out. But the bottom line is the moment ESPN moves to streaming, it's going to become that much more acceptable uh, for mainstream sports fans. And I think a lot uh, my guess is it, that is resonating with the Pac-12 presidents in terms of their acceptance level of a media deal that includes a streaming component. Yeah, and I think that's an important part of this, because if it's two to three years that ESPN is going to this streaming thing. Uh, it that will, was reported by yeah. Andrew Marchand from The New York yeah. Post. We should credit Andrew for that. He said two or three years. OK, so if they're going in that direction, Wilner, then you're the Pac-12 and your media deal wouldn't start for another year. Is it too soon to go all in streaming? Does it normalize it? I'm watching what the NFL is doing with Paramount and Amazon. And they've. I think they brilliantly have created this scenario where, you know, if if like with YouTube and the, um, you know, and the Sunday ticket and well, they've created multiple bidders in that streaming space by sort of uh, parceling it out in bits and pieces. But if you're the Pac-12, is it too soon now to go all in, knowing that two to three years, you know, it'll be very normalized? I would say 
it is too soon unless you are all in with ESPN. Because I think no matter how this thing breaks down, they have to have an they have to be anchored or tethered to ESPN, partly because of you know just the access for viewers of the games themselves, right? But also if you have a contract with ESPN, then game day's talking about you, sports centers talking about you. All the studio shows are talking about you, showing your highlights, interviewing your coaches and players. If you don't have a contract with ESPN, they're not obligated to do it. And the ESPN messaging machinery, to me, is more important than actually even having a game on ESPN. You've got to have them. They're so influential. You've got to have them talking about your product. And I think the only way the Pac-12 could guarantee itself that is if it's got a contract. So whether it's 20 games, uh, 25% or 50% or 100%, it's got to be, there's got to be ESPN. So if you're going to go all all in with one with one network and you want to do ESPN, I, that's fine. I don't think they could afford to go all in with Apple or Amazon at this point and lose lose a connection to ESPN. I, and I think you're right there. And, I, and I'm reminded of it, you know, when we see the college football playoff selection show and when we see the weekly rankings come out and you hear the ESPN personalities, you know, tweeting and talking about the teams that are part of the ESPN family. No, no way around it. I mean, it's a promotional vehicle. Oh, absolutely. And uh, and the highlights, too. Right. I mean, you get the highlights all day. You, you play a. Uh, twelve thirty or or five o'clock game, and you got highlights, right? I mean, that's that's a big part of it too. I mean, I you know the Christian McCaffrey situation with the Heisman is a great example. Uh, with all those you know a bunch of night games on the Pac-12 networks and all that kind of thing. So, I, do you think what if they announced you know in a month we're going all in with ESPN and there's going to be say twenty percent. 25% of the games are going to be on available on either ABC or the cable network and the rest are going to be ESPN plus. Are right. you in for that? Yeah, I am because I think it gets you, it accomplishes two missions. I mean, it gets you the exposure. The question is, is the money there? Do you need, uh, do you need Amazon or Apple to get to the money? And I also think, you know, Fox FS1 needs some Thursday and Friday night games. There's still some windows there. So I think you're going to have multiple players in the end. And I, I, I will not be surprised that, but it, it just creates it creates sort of this new scenario with, hey, it's not as outlandish to say you're going streaming if ESPN is going to get there anyway. Uh, we are uh, starting a new feature here on episode n- number 51. It only took us 50 to get to this. But we're going to do uh, sort of a stock Pac-12 stock market segment in uh, this episode and in, in future episodes where we pick something that we're buying and something we're selling. And we talk about it. So you talk to me, Wilner. Let's start with buying. What are you buying when it comes to the Pac-12 conference? Right now, I'm buying USC basketball, right? I think Andy Enfield, he's got it rolling. He's got Boogie Ellis coming back. He's got the number one recruit in the country coming in, Isaiah Collier. He just got DJ Rodman to transfer from Washington State. He got Bronny James. I mean, it could all implode because it's going to be kind of a circus with the with the James situation, right? But as of right now, I mean, you to me, USC is the favorite to win it next year. Uh, now, I don't know how many people on campus are going to care if the, they're going to the playoff, right? Uh, but 
right now I'm I'm buying USC basketball. What about you? So you think USC is you know is going to make like it's it's a football school first, right? Obviously, with you know, the tradition and the history and Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley and the investment. But Andy Enfield's doing a great job. So yeah, I I don't blame you for buying that. Bronny though, Bron- not, I don't know about Bronny. I don't know if he's going to have the impact right away that everybody thinks. He's going to have. I think he's going to be a really good defender. I think he makes the right play when he's on the court. Offensively, I think he has a whole bunch of growth that he needs to make. And I think there was a little bit of an exhale from Eugene when he chose USC. And and I think there was just a little bit, a tiny bit of relief that they're not going to have to deal with sort of the distraction because the yeah. distra- Dana Altman has just had distraction after distraction in the last two seasons. Yep. And I don't think, you know, I don't think he'll say this, but I don't think he was looking forward to having to deal with documentary film crew, bodyguards, and the hysteria that would have come with that, especially in Eugene. In L.A., maybe it, it's easier to deal with. Um, what am I buying? Um, what look, are you buying? I'm buying Oregon football recruiting. Dan Lanning and his staff have been cleaning up, and it's not just kids on the West Coast. They're going to the East Coast. They're getting into the Big Ten footprint. Um, I saw one uh, national reporter sort of comparing Oregon's recruiting class with Big Ten schools, if if Oregon were compared head to head with the Big Ten schools, uh, I believe they would have the second or third best recruiting class in the Big Ten. So I'm buying what Dan Lanning's doing. That said, he's going to have to do a better job coaching this season. I thought he in year one, a ten wins, great season. I'm not quibbling. I'm not nitpicking him. But defensively, they had no identity, Wilner. So you know he's doing. I'm buying their recruiting, and in the background, I'm going. They need to do better as a staff developing an identity, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, yeah, fair, good point. And what are you, uh, what are you selling? We talked about Larry Scott as sort of this uh, commissioner who, you know, did very well for himself. Wilner, uh, I'm selling this new era of commissioner in college athletics. I'm selling Kevin Warren, who did well for himself but left the Big Ten Conference a $70 million hiccup in his wake. He got in, he repaired his own brand, he got the billion-dollar deal that really wasn't a billion-dollar deal, I guess, now that we look at it. I'll put him in the same class as Larry Scott, very self-serving, did well for himself. Of course, the Big Ten schools are better off with the payout, but um, you know, I, I don't think we used to see this type of commissioner back in the old days. Yes, I know, I'm being nostalgic and... You know, there was less money and less TV interest in the old days. But I miss the conference commissioners who actually have boots-on-the-ground experience in college athletics, not just executives and Brett Yormark out selling, selling, selling for the Big 12 Conference all the time. It feels to me like this new era of conference commissioner, apologies to Greg Sankey, who's still an old throwback, but the new era, I don't like it as much. Yeah, you do with some of these guys. You do wonder, you know, how much, and this includes Scott, of course. How much of it is this their own person? You know, they're out for their own legacy and not out for the what's best for their schools and their conference and the sport. I, I'm with you. I am going to sell, uh, uh, go one a little uh, more in the weeds. I'm selling Turnkey, ZRG. They are the search firm that uh, it has really taken over the executive searches at the at the highest levels uh you know conference commissioners uh ncaa president uh they also were the search firm that that led usc to hire mike mike bone and you could you could certainly usc in a lot of ways is is better off 
from with Mike uh, having been there, right? They got Lincoln Riley and they're in the Big Ten, but clearly based on the really terrific reporting by the LA Times last week on what was going on behind the scenes, there was there was certainly some trouble there. Uh, vetting process may have may have missed something, but Turnkey has become so influential in college sports. And they are so fo- hyper-focused uh, in a lot of regards on hiring people from the professional ranks and bringing them into college sports with very little background, uh, you know, that that I just – I question whether there is going to be kind of a, a some resistance. And we're going to start to see this whole thing change, and the university presidents are going to – realize that they do need to have more people in charge that have, you know, a, a lifelong uh, interest and commitment to to college sports, because it the it just feels like the whole thing is is at war with itself in a lot of ways. And turnkey has done a lot uh, with with some of its the, the hires. Turnkey's done a lot to kind of push it into this professional realm, and I'm not sure it's always great for college athletics. Yeah, and, and you know, look, this is a back-scratching game that the search firms play, you know, and and even on the level of bringing in an athletic director like Mike Bone at, at USC, you know, that's a firm that's got a relationship with him, and they know that they're going to get other searches when they deliver candidates to universities and so and then who gets the next search who gets the coaching search who gets the ad search the next time around uh it's it's just a lot of back scratching and you're right there's no accountability and you know they they also get uh the search firms will get not only when they place an ad or uh an executive in a in a role with the university they they not only get paid for the search they get a percentage they get a tip on the salary negotiation so you know, I've looked into that, too, and, and thought to myself, gosh, Wilner, we should start a search firm. Us and our listeners, let's put it together now. <laughs> we could charge a quarter of what these firms are charging and still do great because uh, it is crazy what the what they what they charge. And the problem is, you know, it's not the folks that are hiring. It's that the university presidents allow are allowing this thing to be taken in, in this d- a direction that isn't necessarily good for college sports. Some of Turkey's decisions I think have been good. Some have been very questionable. Uh, but just the general tone of looking to the professional ranks, I think is one that needs to probably be called into question here in the next few years by university presidents. I'm John Canzano. Read me at johnconzano.com. Episode 51 about to be in the books. He's John Wilner. Crazy. John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, Pac12Hotline.com. Make sure you subscribe, give us some feedback, share this podcast with others, and we'll be back next week with an all-new episode. Thanks for listening, everybody.